Hey guys, John Paul and me here, Actionable Intelligence. Today is Saturday, January 2nd, 2021. Happy New Year and welcome to the first episode, first video of 2021. I'm going to go off the beaten path a little bit and just talk about uh, some performance, talk about a little bit about last year, and then also some of my thinking going into this year, going into 2021. So right off the bat, uh, wanted to talk about the actionable intelligence alert performance. You know, before this year, uh, the portfolio, which is deep value, cyclicals, resource type companies, out of favor situations, really was underperforming massively in 2019. Uh, it just is the nature of the types of securities that we're dealing with. Um, when things are left for dead and uh, people, you know, there's no interest. A uh, perfect example was uranium in 2019. A uh, perfect example was, you know, oil, right? Oil services. So, um, but this has been a very volatile year this year because of coronavirus, because of the actions of the physical and monetary um, stimulus that the governments and the central banks have bestowed upon us. So long story short, uh, the actionable intelligence alert portfolio was up 43% in Q4 and was up 38% for the year. That takes into account a big drawdown. Uh, it was about 25%. 20, 25% in quarter two, uh, but it wasn't as bad as the overall market because a lot of the things that I was in were already beaten down. So that's just the nature of that type of thing. When something's down, that just kind of proves the point just because something's down 80 or 90%, it can still go down additional, it can still go down even more. But suffice to say, uh, things have gotten a lot better in the last six months and yes, particularly in quarter four. Now, the portfolio is very volatile by nature, and it usually outperforms on the upside and the downside. It's going to, when it does move, it's going to swing above the S&P 500. It's going to either fall a lot behind it or outperform it. That's just the nature of the beast. Uh, this is not uh, widows and orphans investing. This is pure speculating. That's pretty much what we're doing. We do have some investments in the portfolio, some long-term investments, especially with some of the situations that uh, uh, deep value, like in countries like Georgia, I've talked about this before, some of the emerging markets I'm involved with. I've got a um, renewable energy company in the portfolio that's doing very well. But anyways, for the most part, it's a lot of speculating, right? Thinking about... Uh, phase changes, if you will, perception changes in the securities we're dealing with. So we're going to go through long periods where nothing happens and then short periods of time when a lot happens. This was a perfect example. It doesn't make me some great genius. It just happens to be, uh, this is how this, this works. You know, I've got several companies in the portfolio now that have more than doubled. Uh, we've got several companies that are up over 100%, our top performers are almost up 500%. So it's uh, doing pretty good. Now we also have some things that are lagging. And uh, this is definitely not for people that are, you know, lay awake worrying about losses. Uh, it's not typical performance. I uh, was dragged down a little bit 
by my tanker holdings. I still have uh, three tanker holdings. Um, and I still like them. Uh, I think what's interesting about tankers is they still sell well below net asset value. We're seeing, seeing scrap steel prices now up at about five-year highs the last time I checked. And I'm hopeful that we will see some scrapping start to happen in 2021. That combined with what I believe will be a resurgence of oil demand and refined products demand, hopefully will lead to a better uh, tanker market later in the year. Regardless, uh, you know, energy demand is going to continue to grow along with population. I suspect that when this COVID thing kind of lines out and uh, cures itself, if you will, we're going to see energy demand return. And I'll talk about <clears throat> a little bit about that later on. What is curious about tankers is uh, where did all the tanker tourists go? All the people that were making videos, talking about it incessantly. You don't see that anymore. I would note that uh, one of the main tanker companies that I follow is uh, buying back a tremendous amount of shares during this time when uh, things are undervalued. Okay, 2021 forecast. You know, these are just things I've been thinking about. I have various levels of conviction, but uh, I just want to make make this know before I start, kind of use a riff off a uh, Yogi Berra um, saying that uh, making predictions, especially about the future is a mugs game. So where do I see value in 2021? Well, energy still. We've had tremendous runs in a lot of these energy stocks off the bottom. Uh, many, many uranium companies have more than doubled. Many oil companies, small cap, mid cap oil companies have more than doubled off the bottom. And some oil field services have, have uh, done fairly well. Um, I do not have any offshore companies right now. I'm watching them. They're making their way through the bankruptcy process and we'll probably be talking about those later on this year. But there are other companies that uh, provide various oil field services, and they, uh, to my mind, offer a lot of value. The bottom line is nothing's really changed, and things have been exacerbated because of COVID. Yes, we've had demand destruction, but we've had tremendous supply destruction. And I suspect that when uh, demand comes back, which I believe it will, and it will come back uh, probably greater than most people think, it's going to surprise a lot of people. Tankers uh, just talked about that. They're still undervalued, way undervalued relative to net asset value. Um, and I think they come back as oil and product demand continues to come back as the year goes on. Base metals, copper has set a tremendous run already. Some of the other base metals now are, are doing fairly well also. Um, I just read an article, a guy on Seeking Alpha does like a monthly EV update of different companies and EV sales are exploding, they're doubling. Um, more and more governments in the West are mandating electric vehicles. We're going to see uh, this tremendous demand for these things. I'm curious to see uh, how the electrical grid is going to hold up as these things become more and more uh, ubiquitous. But uh, we will see. Um, they're still very small inside the context of the overall automobile market, but I suspect that changes. Not only that, we're looking at tremendous infrastructure spending that's going to happen. Uh, We've already seen big, big plans rolled out in the EU, Japan, 
I suspect that uh, once the political environment gets straightened out here in the US, um, we'll probably be looking at a very large infrastructure spending plan here in the US also. This is going to take materials. And just like energy, there's been tremendous amount of underinvestment in base metal supply and all, um, all uh, commodities and resources. Coal, uh, definitely I'm a big fan of steel making coal. Um, that's, gonna, that's doing tremendous right now. And I'm warming up, uh, pun intended, to uh, thermal coal. Um, I think that when you look at the facts, yes, coal is going to shrink as a percentage of the overall energy mix, but the overall energy pie is going to grow. So actually coal demand and coal usage is going to increase for the foreseeable future. Um, it will become less in the overall energy mix as a percentage, but like I said, the overall picture and pie for energy usage is gonna grow. So I think uh, coal represents a tremendous opportunity because everybody hates it. That's going to crimp the demand or crimp the uh, investment that's necessary. And you're eventually going to have, you know, uh, people are divesting themselves of holdings. Banks are saying they're not going to finance projects. That's going to represent tremendous opportunity because, like I said, the demand isn't going to um, go away. Um, emerging and frontier markets. Uh, they did nothing for the last 10 years. I think we see mean reversion. I think we see uh, reversal as uh, U.S. is substantially overvalued. Many of these markets are substantially undervalued. Um, I think they are uh, poised for a very good decade. Uh, gold, and uh, I like gold. Gold's in a long-term bull market, as is silver. And platinum is looking decent here. Platinum historically trades higher than the gold price and has traded well below the gold price for several years now. And I think that uh, that's has the possibility of changing also. Difficult to play um, through any various mining companies. I do know one uh, South African company that does tailings uh, remediation and pulls a lot of platinum group metals out of chromium mine tailings. Very good business, cash flowing very great, very good, but uh, with a South Africa discount on it. Okay, things on my radar, things I'm looking at, things that I think could be a problem. You know, I'm looking at the news and one of the tidbits I was thinking about when they were talking about the recent little scraps they gave everybody, whether it was 600 or 2000, I don't know. But um, they extended the forbearance for mortgage payments and rents. You, know, you can't kick somebody out of their house because they can't pay their rent. Can't kick somebody out of their apartment, can't foreclose on somebody for not paying their mortgage. They're in forbearance. But there are millions of these people. Actually, there's tens of millions. I think I read somewhere 25, 28 million people. Okay. Now, that doesn't mean that it just goes away. It just means that you don't have to pay for six months your mortgage, but you'll have to pay you know, eventually. What do all these postponed and uh, these postponed defaulted mortgages, because that's what they are. If you don't have a job, you have no money. And the government's saying, well, the bank can't kick you out, but you're, you know, stuff's building up behind you. You still have to pay. Um, what does that do to the banking system? What does that do to the mortgage bonds? 
uh, those mortgage bonds are packaged up and sold. We know that from the 2008 housing bubble. What about commercial and uh, office space in these big cities when everybody's not working down there anymore? Nobody's going down there. Um, who's paying those mortgages? All that stuff's debt financed. What is that doing to the banking system? I don't think we know yet. Is the government just going to leave these things in forbearance ad infinitum? Are they just going to say, we're going to pay your rent for you? Are we, going to, are we looking at, I mean, what's the solution? They have to open the economy up. People need to go back to work. People need to start paying their bills. Otherwise, the system could seize up. You know, you can play this little game for six months or a year, but I don't see this going on forever. And then what happens when it finally runs out? And people have to start being evicted or, or, or foreclosed on. And what does that do? And no one's talking about any of this. You know, what about all the unemployed and underemployed? How are these people surviving? I talked about my experience uh, locally here with the food bank, our construction project. We, you know, brought in, I think, over $10,000 worth of cash and, and um, canned goods and stuff. And it was still not enough. These people are desperate. Uh, you've seen the, the lines in these major cities that are miles long and middle-class people, not just poor people. People are at their wits ends. They're, they're out of options. I mean, what is, what is, what is that going to, what's going to happen there? How long is that going to, how many people are going without enough food? And how does that manifest? Watch food prices. You know, the price of many agricultural commodities are rising, and I'm talking about like a moonshot. Take a look at the DBA, which is the um, uh, ETF for agricultural commodities. They're all lumped in there. That thing bottomed back in like April, March or April, made a little short bounce, double bottomed on July, and has been screaming up in a 45 degree angle since. You know, what was the real effect of China flooding last year? Remember when they were talking about the possibility of the Three Gorges Dam failing and flooding all of China because they had those tremendous rainstorms, record floods, and what damage it did to their agricultural uh, output? I mean, they've been tremendous importers of soybeans and corn this year. And I'm also not forgetting that we're, you know, we're in the midst of entering a, a grand solar minimum. Now, I know a lot of people scoff and laugh when I talk about that, but that is a fact. And that, you know, historically, based on other solar minimums, has led to, you know, that doesn't mean a new ice age is going to come upon us. or We're going to have these huge ice encroachments into, you know, the continental United States. What it means is shaving a week off each end of a growing season, and that makes yields go down. That's what it means. And there's books that were written about it that happened, you know, in Europe, you know, several times over the last thousand years. Little Ice Age, the Mounder Minimum, the Dalton Minimum, and what that meant. I think we're entering a time like that again. Like I said, DBA is bottom last spring. It's been screaming higher since. What's going on with food prices? Is that going to continue? You know, I think oil prices are going to surprise quite a few people this year. Why? Because they're going to have to open the economy back up. People are going to demand it. And people are not going to stay locked up, you know, as prisoners in their house forever. People want to go back to work. And I'm going to go over a slide a little bit later about what people intend to do when it does open up. 
And another thing to be on the lookout for, watch for multiple bubbles as central banks continue to create trillions more currency units. You know, Mark Faber in, his, in a book, Tomorrow's Gold, talked about this. He said, imagine a bowl on top of a stick and somebody's trying to hold this stick on the bottom of this bowl and balance it. And then somebody, the Federal Reserve, starts adding water to this bowl. And the thing gets harder and harder to control and it starts moving and you're trying to keep it from falling off this stick, keep it perched on the end of the stick. And the bowl is wobbling and the water splashing out all over. It's landing on the couch. It's hitting the fireplace. It landed on your computer and it lands everywhere. But you don't know where because everything is so chaotic and random that this excess water that's coming out of this bowl because it's so chaotic, this little system that you're trying to hold this bowl on the stick the water's just sloshing randomly all over the place. That's kind of what is happening with all this liquidity creation. You know, the people that get the liquidity are able to put it to work immediately in various financial assets, presumably ones that they think are going to go up and benefit them. And this is how you get these bubbles. And that's what we're seeing. I mean, is Bitcoin a bubble? It's over, I think it's $32,000 of Bitcoin as we speak today. And it shows no, no, uh, no sign of backing off. You know, that's the whole point I started this video channel was when the Bitcoin craze was with retail three years ago. Now we're having an institutional thing where everybody is trying to get in and there's not enough. And so the price is rocketing higher. And this is all, I think, being enabled by the liquidity events that are being created by these various central banks printing money. It's going to be a tremendous opportunity for people that are nimble. Now, you can't stay at the party too long, and that's the problem, right? You're, you're sitting there. You want to go up and look inside the volcano, but you don't know when it's going to erupt. Uh, it's a very dangerous game, so be careful if you're trying to play that game. Now, do I have an allocation of Bitcoin? Yes, I have a small allocation, you know, 1%. And, you know, I, I, like I said, I can't – I knew a guy one time. I was building a wind farm in Oklahoma. He was a big rancher, probably – $3 million a year operation. He really didn't need the money. We're putting three windmills on his ranch. And I asked him, I said, why are you doing this? You don't like this stuff. You told me he's a big time right wing guy. He, he didn't want them. He didn't agree with them. He gave me all these speeches about subsidies and everything. And he said, John, I just can't stand it. If everybody else around me has one and I don't have it, I'll, I'll just be cringing for the next, you know, 25 years. It's kind of the same thing with this Bitcoin thing. You know, you, you need to own a little bit of it in case this thing does go to a million dollars of Bitcoin or something like that. You don't want to be sitting there going, gee, I, if only I had. Uh, so that's why I suggest, you know, a small allocation. One thing I want to warn you about this Bitcoin stuff and this cryptocurrencies. One of the things I recall when I called the top in Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies several years ago, one of the main things, uh, I got on a conference call with some people. And one of the main things they kept asking me, I didn't know that much about crypto at the time. I was involved because if something's moving, it's going to attract my attention. I'll try to trade it. But one of the things that these people were most concerned with was not the fact that it was a bubble, not the fact that they were uninitiated investors, not the fact that they didn't really know what they were doing, that they were only getting in uh, at the top and didn't realize it. They wanted to know what, how they could avoid the taxes on it after it did go up. Because, you know, they had read that government's not tracking it and you can avoid taxes, blah, blah, blah. 
you will note that the IRS this year, last year, I think it was on, another, on one of the schedules, but not everybody fills out all the schedules because they don't have to. On the main part of the 1040 this year is going to be a question, whether or not you have, it's going to be a yes or no question. Have you or have you not transacted in cryptocurrency this year? If you mark it yes, then I'm sure that, you know, you will, they'll be wanting to know if you did have a transaction, like a sale, did you have a capital gain or capital loss? They'll want to be looking on your schedule, uh, I think it's schedule A, uh, to see if you reported it. If you say no, and then in a year or two, it's discovered that you in fact did, you have committed perjury. You see where this is going? And then everybody tells me that the government can't stop crypto. They're setting you guys up. It's like, a, it's like one of those big nets, you know, the main trawler sits there and then these small boats go out with the nets around, they surround the uh, school of fish and then they pull the bottom tight and haul the fish on board. The fish is all these people that think that they're not going to have to pay taxes or they're, they're going to hide from the government in crypto. Look, the, these governments have a lot of power in the fact that they issue and control the currencies. They control the monetary system. They control the dishing out of the favors. All this, this tremendous power and wealth. And you think they're just going to give it up to a bunch of piece-of-faced programmers with Bitcoin? I mean, you can have that opinion, but I can guarantee you anytime they want to stop this, they can stop it. I'm just amazed they haven't stopped it by now. So what I'm telling to tell you is, is that you need to be a little bit careful. I'm not dissuading you from doing it. Just follow the rules and report. Some people are going to have tremendous gains. You're not going to get away without paying. And if you mark on that form this year that you didn't transact and you've and they find out you did, that's perjury. And you do not want to be lying to the government. They're going to make examples of people eventually. And they're going to issue their own digital currencies at some point. The Chinese are on the verge of doing that right now. They're not interested in having something out there that they can't control. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I don't think uh, 10,000 years of government experience of what kind of people are in government and what government exists to do uh, is going to change. They're not libertarians over there at the treasury. Okay. Um, why the resource boom has years, years to go. Here's just a little tidbit of why I think we're at the beginning and, you know, not even at the, we haven't even had the opening pitch of the first inning yet. Why? This is uh grozing and erosion swags. Um, assets under management for their two funds. They have an institutional fund on top here that you can see and a fund for retail investors. Here's the net asset values per share. Here's the change in percentage. Um, here's the assets under management. That's what we care about. So these guys are probably some of the top natural resource investors in the world as far as being knowledgeable. If you're smart, you read their quarterly uh, reports. They're, they do a lot of research into commodities. They've made a lot of great calls. And with all of that, their institutional fund has $36 million under management. Their retail fund has $8 million under management. Okay. Now, maybe this is because they just are terrible at marketing. I don't know. But for the top, probably some of the best well-known natural resource um, people out there that are putting out information and make some really great calls in my view, they only have, you know, less than $50 million under management. That's nothing in the, you know, 
you talk about Bitcoin, you talk about, you know, Tesla stock, you talk about all these things. And this company that basically runs money and that's um, following natural resources is basically, you know, one rain, raindrop in, into Lake, uh, you know, Lake Superior. It's nothing. So I think before this is over, this will be a lot higher and these guys will be all over the place. You won't, you'll be seeing them every day. Uh, but um, talking about resources, everybody will want them to have, have them on. But uh, I think we're at the beginning, not the end of the, uh, this 10-year, what I think will be a 10-year bull market in commodities. Why I am bullish on coal? Well, uh, there you go right there. Um, I like these visuals sometimes. You know, I've been a staunch and continued metallurgical coal bull for many years just because it's necessary for steel, for steel making. You know, 70% of steel is made from raw steel, is made uh, through the oxygen blast furnace methodology, which requires coking coal, which is a hard coal, metallurgical coal. So um, I've been bullish on that. It's done fairly well. But, you know, the returns on the stocks have been low because everybody hates coal. It's the new tobacco. I'm getting increasingly bullish on thermal coal. You know, as I said earlier on in the video, it doesn't really matter that as a percentage of the overall energy mix, coal is going down. But in total, in total amount of coal being burned, it's going up. It's funny because the Chinese are really, I think, not as dumb as people think they are. They have a long game. They're going to win it. Power and wealth is moving to Asia. Let me give you an example. China is the world's largest producer of solar panels. They export them. Projects that uh, are happening all the time are using Chinese solar panels. They're not making them here in the US. They're not making them in the Tesla facility in Buffalo. Um, wind turbines, they're the largest producer of wind turbines in the world. People don't know that. But if you look at a map of wind and solar resources, they're not that high in China. So these are export markets. These are exportable things for the Chinese. Chinese are not putting them up in China. They're exporting them to the US and to Europe and to other places. And so we're putting up these uh, Chinese made things. They're importing coal and building more coal plants. Now, yes, they pay lip service to carbon neutral and they're gonna do this, they're gonna do that. They're not gonna do anything. They're gonna do what's in China's best interest. And right now, uh, I think when I talked to Ferg, Trader Ferg, he was getting ready to put out a big uh, thing on coal. I was thinking about doing something on it, but you know, bottom line is, is that um, coal is hated. It's being divested. It's, you know, with this ESG movement, everybody hates it. And yet it's, you know, not going away. And there's not gonna be, nobody's investing in it. No one's building any coal mines. No one's gonna give money as a loan, they're going to be capital constrained, and yet the demand is going to be there. That is a recipe for uh, a bull market in coal. What was also interesting is, is the coal ETF, uh, just to give you another indication of a bottom, if you will, the coal ETF was just canceled. Um, not enough interest, I guess, in it. It was uh, there for several years, many years, and then they got rid of it recently. Uh, I guess the assets under management dropped sufficient really wasn't worth doing or just because they didn't want to draw attention to themselves part of that whole 
ESG thing. You know, they didn't want to be accused of enabling this uh, industry. I don't know what the reasoning was. I suspect it was something like that. But, you know, that's what you see at a bottom. You know, what you see at the top is, you know, when when a when a industry that doesn't have an ETF is going gangbusters and attracting a lot of attention, that's when you'll see the um, ETF purveyors create ETFs, right? Because, you know, they have a saying in Vancouver at the penny stock market, when the ducks quack, feed them. So uh, that's what they do. There's a, if, when that becomes a hot industry, then they create a ETF. And that's typically at the top of the market. Everybody's in at that point. So I thought this was a great visual, but uh, that's uh, China's actually having a situation because of their trade spat with Australia as they flex their political muscle on the world stage. Um, the Australians were criticizing China and China invoked a uh, embargo of Australian coal. And that has had the effect of causing the Chinese to run short on thermal coal. So you can't always get what you want, it seems. Now, this is one of the main reasons, or one of the, one of the reasons, a, a big reason, why I think oil demand is going to surge coming out of this uh, in the spring and summer. And this was an article in the Wall Street Journal. It was uh, travel set to boom post, uh, well, I put Wu flu. They didn't put that. A couple quotes here from the article. Everybody is excited to get the hell out of their house, says Ed Linus, 79. This guy's 79 now who was planning a month-long three-continent journey with his wife this summer, by which time he hopes to be vaccinated. Quote, you get to a certain age and you don't have as many years ahead of you as you, you had behind you. So this guy wants to travel. He's been cooped up. He's going on a three-month around-the-world tour. That will not be carbon neutral. Uh, another quote here from the article. Gavin Delaney, chief executive of Austin, Texas-based Travel Stride, a website that lets people search for trips, says bookings for 2021 picked up after the Food and Drug Administration authorized the Pfizer vaccine this month. The week after the announcement, booking referrals were up 7% compared with the same period a year ago, he says. Now, you remember, a year ago this time, the Wu flu was not crimping travel. So that's, a, that's uh, off a you know, pretty high base already, uh, 7%. I've also seen little other anecdotes. I saw an article where uh, Lufthansa, the German, big German airline, is, uh, you know, seeing tremendous volume for this spring and summer. I think they're sold out already. So everybody's planning on going nuts uh, once the restrictions hopefully get lifted. Uh, and more from the uh, article. Uh, Michael Gahan, a travel advisor in Atlanta with Bromwell Travel, says clients are eager to go as far away as possible and are budgeting extra time to get there. Average trip length for the first quarter of 2021 is 14 days, up from six days during the period in 2019. Clients are itching to use their passports and stay out longer. So I think that energy is one of my themes that's going to surprise on the upside. You know, supply will not be able to react as quickly. And uh, contrary to what most people think, if you have been watching my videos, at least, you will note that uh, we follow inventories and inventories have been declining just about every week for the last six months. And uh, that's been a combination of the discipline of OPEC. That's been the um, shale miracle has dissolved like a hot sugar Cuban tea or a sugar Cuban hot tea. Um, so yeah, uh, I think that uh, it's very possible 
that we will be $65 a barrel by the end of next year or end of this year. We're in 2021. So, and it's a possibility we can see a spike up to 80. I think it's possible. And uh, I think it's going to surprise. Uh, there's a lot of pent up demand. There's a lot of pent up money. Not, you know, we have a bifurcated society now. Um, we have a lot of people that uh, on the lower part of the economic scale that are struggling to survive. And yet you have upper middle class and wealthy people, and they're not a small cohort, which have been scrolling away cash because they haven't been able to do anything. And they're going to go nuts once these uh, restrictions get lifted. Uh, Lyle Taylor, I like this guy's, uh, he's got a blog and he really writes some thoughtful articles. He's on, been on Twitter quite a bit more. I like what he was writing here. This is kind of sh shifting gears. You know, I'm really got a really serious problem with central banks. Um, I really think that, you know, once we got off of the real money standard in gold and silver, I'm not going to get into that debate with people, but they've really been reckless and they've really, I think, had a big hand in a lot of the wealth inequality that we've seen with this constant increase in money supply that they've engineered to pay for all this government largest. They've really contributed to a lot of the, you know, bad things that have happened. They've enabled a lot of wars, a lot of, of the welfare state, a lot of despondency, a lot of dependency, uh, a lot of things that where people weren't forced to do uh, just by circumstance the right thing because the, they took the easy way out by free money, cheap money. But anyways, I like this tweet. Central bank asset purchases, that's like when the central bank just goes and creates money out of thin air and buys mortgage securities or treasuries, or in the case of the Bank of Switzerland, a trillion dollars in you know, stocks and bonds around the world or Japan, which buys a lot of their own stocks via ETFs with created money, just as an example. Central bank asset purchases are actually little more than the de facto nationalization of private wealth. He gives the analogy. If I could print money and use it to buy your house, I've basically stolen it. In theory, central banks could use printed money to nationalize 100% of the economy slash private wealth. Yes, that's exactly right. I mean, it's so simple. People say, well, that's not what's happening. That's exactly what's happening. Where do they get the money to buy these bonds? $120 billion a month. They're just creating it out of thin air. Well, it doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter until it does. And I, I, I say that they have created a lot of this um, wealth inequality. They've enabled and embedded these governments to do a lot of bad things over the last several decades. And uh, I think you know, it just gets completely ignored. It's not even, a dis nobody discusses it except for a few people like myself or Ron Paul and some other people and we're called crackpots. But such is life. Well, that's it for this week. Uh, this kind of thing went haywire on me here. Sorry about that, guys. Um, anyway, this is the first sh uh, show video of this year. Like I said, uh, I think it's been really exciting the last six months or so. Things are really perking up in a lot of the areas that we follow. Uranium, I think, is going to have a big year. I think energy as a whole is going to have a big year. And, uh, you know, what I'm trying to do is think about these things that are going, that could possibly come in and bite us in the backside or things that no one's thought about. And I, like I said, really watch food prices because I think people are not paying attention to that. Something's going on there. All right, guys, that's it uh, for this week. Appreciate you watching. Uh, I hope that you uh, will have the 
rest of a good holiday weekend. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you.